0: Lord, we are so thankful for your Word. We are so thankful for the ways that it challenges us, encourages us, shows us the way. Thank you for the examples that you give us in your Word. The Ways that you, by your Spirit, have moved through your church to do amazing things. And Lord, we long to see those amazing things here. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to do amazing things, the things you want to do, not only in our lives individually, but us as a church and churches, the church in this world, Lord, we need you in this time. So we open ourselves up to you. I pray that you would remove the blockages in our minds and hearts and and emotions and lives so that we can see what you want us to see and we can be changed in the ways that you want to change us from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, 2022 is our year for God's overflow. So, the Spirit is flowing and into our lives and overflowing. and We're using this cup over here to mention things that we see, ways we see God flowing into our lives, the ways we see that God's been able to overflow out of our lives. And this is a great opportunity for us to see things. And then, sometimes we wish there was more overflow, or sometimes... Maybe the Spirit wishes there there was more overflow, but we don't even notice that we have the flow channeled in ways that it can't overflow. So I have got a question for you, or a few questions, like I like to. Um, Last time we talked about who do you eat with, and this time I'd like to ask, who do you share good news about Jesus with, and who do you not share good news about Jesus with?
1: Can you think about that for a minute? My guess is a lot of us share good news about Jesus
0: with other people we know love Jesus. Um, and maybe we share good news about Jesus with some other people. And I'm guessing there's some other people we don't even think of sharing good news about Jesus with. Or we just think it wouldn't be appropriate, so we just don't go there. Um, So anyway, my question is why? Why do you share it with some people and not with other people?
1: Can you think about that? Um, What are the barriers to sharing with everybody? Okay, so I'm going to give you one minute
0: to, to share your answer, especially to the barriers with somebody next to you or near you.
1: Okay, who's willing to share a barrier?
0: Not interacting with those people, okay. With anybody, (laughs) okay. The pandemic, okay, fair enough. Yep, somebody else? It starts an argument, okay. Don't wanna start an argument, that's good. All right. Yep. You don't want to get hit. Okay. We're going from arguments to hitting now. Or um, somebody else. Fear. Okay. Fear of getting hit, maybe, or um, or maybe fear of something else. Yeah. Fear that they won't receive it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Somebody else. Lack of confidence, okay? And maybe the lack of confidence that they won't receive it, right? We talked about last time with Cornelius that actually he was more ready to receive it than Peter was ready to bring it, right? He didn't know that. He assumed that this Roman officer would not be um, willing to hear from him, right? He was the enemy. So, somebody else assumptions okay yeah self-absorbed right I'm just thinking about my stuff good point point. and can I suggest an, another version of self-absorbed which is us absorbed in other words not just with my individual self but with my people us um, so they're not other people I don't just don't notice some somebody else Okay, Um, so this week, we get to look at breakthrough to overflow. In a breakthrough church, the Spirit overflows to a new kind of people with an appropriate new kind of church. So we saw last time, last week, we were looking at uh, chapter 10 and 11 of Acts, and this radical shift that Peter was a witness to that God spoke to Cornelius, knew him by name, and saw him and sent him to, he sent people to get Peter. Peter responded and got dragged into what the Holy Spirit was doing. He didn't do a really super job. He was like, you know, I'm not supposed to even be here. We don't like you people. We don't come into your houses at all. But God told me I shouldn't do that. So it wasn't the most winsome message in some ways. But actually, everybody knew this was not what people do. Don't go into Roman officers' houses and eat with them. They're the enemy. So, God had done this. And then when he came back, the church was like, what did you do? You ate and slept with them? And then he told the whole story and they realized, oh, the Spirit did this. So this is how that story ends. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles, the nations, the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. We talked last time about, it's not that they're fine as they are, it's that they get the privilege of repenting and turning from their sins. Do you know that you have been given the privilege of repenting and turning from your sins? Not of being okay as you are, but of being welcome to repent, to turn from your sins, to turn to the Lord. That is a privilege, and a privilege that we should be sharing. We could be sharing that privilege, right? But this was just, okay, God's doing this. Wow. And that was it. There was no way for this to happen again unless, necessarily, unless, you know, an angel showed up again and dragged one of them out to be with somebody. And yet, God was doing something. Maybe already. Maybe even before Peter put his stamp of approval on it. I want you to notice how God, in this process, we're going to see it again, has been moving and the church and the leaders are catching up with what the spirit is doing jesus you know peter's bringing the keys along the keys to the kingdom oh yeah open the jerusalem door and then he catch up to the samaritans oh yeah let's let's bless that And and then you know bless the bless the gentiles but the spirit is the one that is leading this process so here we go the church that transformed everything the place where it all changed So meanwhile, we don't even know if this happened before or after, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death. Do you remember that? There was this persecution, beginning of chapter 8, and all the people were chased out of Jerusalem because of the persecution. They traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch of Syria. So as we see all kinds of turmoil... As we see refugees pouring out of Ukraine. I was just reading this last night, this morning, my, my, my uh, friend Phil Reed, who's a missionary in Ukraine, saying, pray that they would be faithful and that they bring the good news with them. That they would respond well. Those who are left, those who are going. Two million people or something like that have gone out of Ukraine. What's God doing in the midst of that? Ukraine was the Bible belt of the US, USSR. Um, they're trying to figure out pacifism versus they got a lot of things to figure out, but what's God up to? We see the disaster, which is a disaster, but what's God up to? This was a persecution, was a disaster. They were not happy about having to flee for their lives. And yet, the Spirit was at work. Some of you are here because you fled disasters. And yet, the Spirit has been at work in moving you around. So, but notice this, they preach the Word of God,
1: but only to Jews. Huh.
0: They preach the Word of God, they're preaching, but only to Jews, only to their people. So, what kind of people are not hearing good news about Jesus then and now? How might we share Jesus appropriately with them? Who is it that we're not sharing that news with? So, um, remember that This Jerusalem church had created this new community where there was love between people and with justice and love with God and with with creation. And they were demonstrating that, but now they were scattering. The Spirit was scattering them to all the nations. This is part of that scattering. This is 15 days of travel from Jerusalem. There's not many places in the world that it takes 15 days to get to anymore, right? Um, But this was 15 days travel. They didn't have uh, jet engines. So so Jerusalem on the bottom there, all the way up to Antioch up here. So they've traveled to Cyprus and Antioch. And there's people from Cyrene in Cyprus, we're going to find out, who do some other things. So the biggest barrier was the cultural difference. That was the big barrier. You see, you can be right by people and not see them, or not talk to them. Because they're, you know, they're those people. They're different, they're, they speak a different language, they have a different culture, they're different, whatever it is, they're different somehow. I, you know, I'll be, I'll be honest, I, I bike by Skyline Towers most days when I'm biking to church. I don't have any friends in Skyline Towers. I've been in Skyline Towers in the past. I don't have, happen to have any friends there now. Um, now, there's some of you who have done a good job of reaching out to our Somali neighbors. David and Sharon and Karen and other, other people. Um, Jan's working with them and got good friends at, at work. I don't have any really good friends who are Somali. I, you know, I have some people I agree. But I, I'm not really sharing good news with Somalis because I don't know them very well. And there may be other people who you go right by. But just, you know, there's just a cultural barrier that keeps you from sharing maybe anything. Maybe sharing food or, or sharing good news about Jesus. So this cultural distance is the big problem. Remember, there was a big culture war. Greek culture versus Jewish tradition. When the Greeks came in and conquered Jerusalem, and they tried to impose their culture and, the, and all of the different sects of, of Judaism were a response to that. The, the, the Sadducees kind of bought in. The, the Essenes went off in the wilderness so they wouldn't have to even think about it. The Pharisees tried to stay holy. Everybody was responding to this pressure to become Greek culture. Um, you know, they translated the Bible into Greek. That was one response. There There's different responses to that, but there was definitely a culture war going on. Not just they walked by each other, but they didn't really like each other. Now Antioch was a city that was the third largest in in the Roman Empire. So think Chicago. It was also cosmopolitan like Chicago. It had people from everywhere, from the east, from from Iraq and India, even China. It had people from the West, Latin speaking. But it was very much a Greek founded city and Greek culture was the thing. And it was very cosmopolitan. It was also kind of known for being kinda grimy and and uh it, it had some some issues. Like people sometimes talk about Chicago. Sorry, Jim You know, the murder capital, that kind of stuff. It had that kind of reputation of all kinds of stuff happening there. So what happens? But the thing is, a place like Chicago and other places, they influence the world too. So if something changes in Chicago, things change in the world. Um, When something changes in St. Paul. So how do we... How will the Spirit overflow and break through this barrier? See, the Spirit is overflowing, but it's in channels. And there's barriers, there's dams that keep that flow right right here where we are. Oh, the Spirit's moving right here, it's great. But it's not spilling over. There needs to be some breakthrough of those barriers. So we talked about last time the process of developing a missional congregation that we need as a church to belong to the community that we're part of. So then we can bless them. And then we can bring them into the church. And they can know that they're beloved. But the first step wasn't happening. They didn't belong to Antioch. Not to all of Antioch. There was a lot of Jews in Antioch. They belonged to those people. They belonged to the Jews, but they didn't belong to others in Antioch. And anywhere else they were going. They were just sharing with their people. So, this is the breakthrough church. The Spirit reaches a new kind of people with an appropriate new kind of church. So, how does he do that? By contextualizing. So, this is a a technical missions word, okay? Contextualizing means something needs to be understood and thus transforming. Like when you translate something into a new language. It has to be translated in a way that it makes sense. So, I'm going to use the word appropriate instead of contextualize because I don't contextualize a little bit. Technical it's one of the classes. I taught one of my favorite subjects, but it's it's an interesting thing to think about how do you make the news? How do you make something like the good news of Jesus? Appropriate to somebody else so they can understand it so they can feel it so they can get it and then be transformed So some people think you're watering it down But you're not when you put it in another language. It has the power to transform somebody you get what I'm saying? It's not properly contextualized if it doesn't transform. Now, you can syncretize it, and you can water it down and change it so it becomes not really the gospel anymore, not really good news. But how did they make this appropriate new kind of church? How did the Spirit do it? So new people hear about Jesus in a new way. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene, I want you to stop there. These were not Jerusalem Christians. They were Jews, but they were not from Jerusalem, not from Judea, not even from Galilee, which was kind of borderland. They're from Cyprus and Africa. So you guys know where Cyrene is. Cyrene is Africa. It's North Africa. So, by the way, when people say, oh, you got that white religion, you got that honky religion, you you know, it's not... Appropriate for us Africans to have this Christian. Jesus went to Africa when he was zero. And some of these first missionaries, the ones who made the breakthrough, were from Africa. They were Jewish, but they had been born and raised in Africa. So these people were already bicultural. They had grown up as Jews, but also Africans. Okay? And Cyprus. I don't know how you say that. From Cyprus. So they began preaching to the Gentiles. And the word is actually Greek speakers, the Hellenists, the Greek speakers or Greek culture. You know, those people who were really part of that Greek culture that was the base of of, uh, Antioch culture. About the Lord Jesus. Now that doesn't strike you as anything, does it? But this is a new dynamic. This is a new Jesus that hasn't been preached before. I'm going to show you in a little bit. And the power of the Lord was with them. So the Holy Spirit is really doing this. The Holy Spirit comes right alongside with what they're doing. And a large number of the Gentiles believed in this Jesus and turned to the Lord. Again, this is not a you're fine. This is a here's Jesus. You You can turn to Jesus. You can believe in Jesus. But I want you to notice that this word, it's a new appropriate understanding of who Jesus is. This is a new Jesus. Because they had been preaching, remember 9.22 says, Paul was preaching and proving that Jesus was the Messiah. He was Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, Yeshua Hamashiach in Hebrew and Jesu Christos in Greek, but it's the same thing. The Messiah. So for Jews, this is good news. The Messiah has come. The one we've been waiting for. This is awesome. For Greeks, it's like, Messiah? He's got oil on him? What? He's anointed? So you put oil on somebody. What is that about? It didn't mean anything to their history, their culture. So they used something new. The Lord Jesus. Kurias Jesu. Kurias Jesu. This is a new thing. Now, Of kurios, they knew. Lords, they knew. There were lots of lords, lots of gods, lots of, uh, we might call them, some of them demons or whatever. There were lots of lords around. So this was dangerous to start equating Jesus with lords, but it worked for them. It was something they could understand. So one of the things we see in mission history is where people have gone and used the local words, like for God like God. What is that?
1: That's a German word. Right?
0: We don't, we don't say Yahweh. We don't say Adonai. We don't say Allah. He was Allah long before in Arabic. We say God because that was a North European way of saying God. And it was a messed up God, but it became Yahweh. Right? Right? And where that has happened, it's been powerful. Where it's been a foreign word or a foreign concept, it hasn't really taken root. Or it's become a thing next to the the other things we believe in. You get what I'm saying? If you're talking to Muslims, it makes sense to say Allah. Because the Christians were saying Allah before Muhammad adopted it. Now Muhammad had a little bit of a mixed up idea of who Allah was. It makes sense to say Isa because that's the way you say Jesus in Arabic. Now, where is that appropriate? Do you say he's the son of God when Muslims believe that, you know, the father had sex with Mary and then they had Jesus and that's why he's the son of God and that's the Trinity, Mary, Jesus, and that's all messed up. We don't do that. How do you get around that misunderstanding? Um, So they did something. They used a new Jesus. Um, If that makes sense. Was this appropriate or was this syncretism? It depends upon how it's done. So this is Andrew Wallace says, Paul and fellow missionaries had to translate the message of Jesus, like in the Synoptic Gospels, into Hellenistic West Asia and Southern Europe. And the process was hugely enriching. It proves to be a discovery of the Christ. Most of us think when it changes to a language or a culture we don't know, it's watering down. From the Westminster Confession or whatever was, what was revealed in Rome. Remember, Rome isn't even getting, we didn't get to Rome yet. So it's not, it's proved to be enriching, and proved to be a discovery as the Christ. As Paul and his fellow missionaries explain and translate the significance of Christ in a world that is Gentile and Hellenistic, that significance is seen to be greater than anyone had realized before. Jesus is Yeshua HaMashiach, and He is Yeshu Christos. He is the Lord. It's as though Christ himself actually grows through the work of mission. Because now you don't just see this from this angle, you see it from this angle. I can show you it looks different from this side. Jesus is different from a different perspective. But we see more. So now, is this Emmanuel? Is this Jesus? Yeah, well contextualized to Northern Europe is this Jesus? Yes. Contextualized to someplace else. Now, that's what the BBC says he really looked like, maybe, um, from their anthropological discussions. Uh, probably this tall, four foot or so. Um, Ethiopia has been there long, longer than he has in Europe. Uh, maybe. Is that Jesus? Emmanuel? Emmanuel in Indonesia? Emmanuel?
1: So God with us is Jesus fully human and fully at home with us. But then sometimes
0: we can go too far. That's called syncretism, when it becomes inappropriate. Uh, This one too. That's the way the movie would have been made. But that's not what happens. God with us is fully human, fully at home, but also fully God and fully a pilgrim that doesn't belong. He's not one of us. He is the Jewish Messiah. He becomes a Greek Lord. He goes also to India, Ethiopia, and Iraq, becomes a Roman imperial ruler of the world, becomes a barbarian when he gets to Northern Europe, those barbarians. You know, some people say Jesus, Jesus, uh, you know, moved to, to Greek and became a philosophy, moved to Europe and became art, moved to America and became business. Um... Anyway, where is it appropriate, where is it inappropriate? That's the question always. Um, So the fully grown humanity of Christ requires all the Christian generations, just as it embodies all the cultural variety that six continents can bring. So we need to pay attention to what the previous centuries have said about Jesus, what they discovered. We also need to pay attention to what our kids are discovering about Jesus. I know some of us are nervous about what our kids are discovering about Jesus. We're not so sure that's really the Jesus we know. We might need to listen. We might learn something um, from what our kids are discovering about Jesus. Let um, me just stay there for a minute. So, my dad I credit with learning things from his kids as we learn things about Jesus. And it was and maybe a little harder for my mom even, but they learned new things. They learned about grace in a new way. They learned about missions in a new way. They learned about a lot of stuff. And then I've had to do the same things. Honestly, when my kids went to Macalester, I was scared to death. And, uh, and then when they started, yeah, Jessica's laughing. Then when, and some of the rest of you Macalester grads. Um, but, then, but they kept challenging me with stuff that I had to like, okay, uh, yeah, I don't know. How does that work in the Bible? So, you know, give me a book and read the book and figure out what... what and they figured out how to share Jesus at McAllister in a way that McAllister would understand. You know, you might remember Hannah did a repentance thing where she got all the Christians together to repent of the things that Christians had done wrong. That was a way to evangelize at McAllister. Um, and but some of us get nervous about Jesus at McAllister, right? Or other places where it's different. And some of us feel like our kids. Even when they go to church every Sunday, aren't you know aren't really still in the faith because they aren't really in the faith that is Jesus? I understand. Maybe you could understand more about Jesus. And kids, your kid, your parents might have something, even though you know I know it's old fashioned. We're gonna get there too. So let's uh, so let's look at what happens. The church in Jerusalem, for whatever reason, maybe they were getting nervous. What? Antioch. Gentiles, Greeks, real Hellenists, we better go check this out. And what? Kurias, Yesu, the Lord, Jesus, we never heard of that before. We better send somebody. Now, they had a wisdom to send appropriate leadership. This time, they didn't send Peter. Hallelujah. (laughs) It would have been a disaster if they sent Peter. We find out in Galatians what happens when Peter did go. He messed it up. Because he was from Galilee. They sent Barnabas. From Cyprus, that's right. Barnabas was one of those bicultural people who had grown up as a Levite in Cyprus. Knew Greek well, knew Greek culture well, knew what was going on. Bicultural. Now, I want you to know that this church is blessed and the all-nations family of churches. Not only with people who've come from someplace to someplace, but people who've grown up between cultures. Some of our kids. People like Jessica. Who's American, for sure. But kind of Romanian, too. And now kind of uh, West African, maybe. I don't know. A lot of beautiful things happen. Now, uh, my daughter Hannah just wrote an article about this. That what happens, though, is when people grow up like that, like she's totally different. I grew up in Cloquet. She grew up in Mwanza, Tanzania. I think we're the same, but not, really. When you grow up in two places, you end up often rejected by one or both cultures. And then the easy thing to do is to pick one, reject the other. But in Scripture, you'll find people, and Hannah points this out, that stay connected to both cultures despite the pain. People like Moses and Daniel and Esther and Paul and Barnabas James is nodding. He's a Korean. Even if you can't tell, that's a problem when you can't tell because they're hidden immigrants. But When they stay connected, they become part of the mission of God. God uses them in new ways because of that difficult thing. So if you're one of those people who's been in between, either because you went or because you were born in between, you knew two languages and two cultures, and it's not really comfortable... Hallelujah. God did that to you for his mission. Barnabas grew up super uncomfortable. Paul grew up super uncomfortable between things. But they knew how to translate. They knew how to be both places. Barnabas could go to this place like Peter couldn't. And when he arrived and saw this evidence of God's
1: blessing. If Peter had got there, he would have been scared to death, been concerned.
0: Barnabas saw that this was God's evidence. So they had appropriate leadership. They sent the right person who could see that this was God's overflow. This was God's breakthrough. And what did he do? He was filled with joy. He didn't say they watered down the gospel. He said, hallelujah, this is breakthrough. And he encouraged, because Barnabas is his nickname, he encouraged them. But he also encouraged them to stay true to the Lord. So he didn't encourage them to go off wild. He encouraged them to persist in their difficulties and stay true to Jesus. Jesus. Even if it was a different understanding of Jesus than had previously. Barnabas, I put in four because that's the way it actually is. It's because of who he was. Barnabas was a good man. Full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord because Barnabas encouraged it. He was sent as a representative from the church in Jerusalem. And they might not all have gotten it. And all of them didn't get it. But Barnabas did. And he said, hallelujah. This is Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit. And he encouraged them. And encouraged them to stay true to the Lord. That was the kind of leadership they needed. And Barnabas knew they needed more. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now Saul was a real rabbi. He was well trained, but he was also from Tarsus. He knew Greek. Backward and forward, he knew Greek culture, and he could get it. And, Tar- and Paul Barnabas said, I know somebody who also can get this and bring all that he has. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So Barnabas wasn't like, this is my thing. He was like, I need help. Who can really help me? Who knows this culture and who knows Scripture? Both of them stayed there with the people for a full year Teaching large crowds of people. It was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. So he's teaching. Notice that they, they spent time teaching. It matters that when new people come into the faith, they get teaching. So they can be grounded in the faith. But it needs to be appropriate teaching. And the Christians were devoted to this apostolic teaching. It was what the apostles taught, but it was appropriate teaching. Apostolic teaching. It was helping them to do what needed to be done, what needed to be understood in that context. And in fact, they're learning what the good news is as they do this. In this new context. They're learning new things about the good news.
1: Do you notice anything that
0: there's Jerusalem DNA showing up in this new church? Like being devoted? The apostles' teaching. So it's great to repent. It's also great to be established in the Word. What, what we're doing at Training East African Ministers, the church in Tanzania is growing. The church in Africa is growing at a fantastic rate. It could grow into something else unless we have appropriate teaching. Not just from us, but it needs to be carried along. And, and Jim and Annette are going to encourage and bless and teach the church in Africa. But we are also blessed by the church in Africa, bringing us new things. Okay, so um, they were also devoted to sharing. This is just like Jerusalem, and even more. Sharing sacrificially to family. Remember, Barnabas was the one who sold his field and gave all the proceeds to the poor. That character shows up. That model gets followed. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they're getting profits. They're get, there's stuff going back, back and forth. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. Great famine on the entire Roman world. What are you going to do? Get a gun? Stock some food? How about toilet paper? You better think about toilet paper. You know, things are shifting right now. The, you know, the, the world economy is shifting and where do we what are we going to do? They didn't even, they, they didn't stockpile for themselves. They didn't save up for the famine. They didn't put food in the storehouse. They didn't even do it for themselves. It was the entire Roman world. And yet, they think about Jerusalem. What? That's shocking. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius, so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea." What? They're not related to anybody in Judea. This is a multicultural church. I mean, maybe some of the Jews were related to people in Judea. But that monocultural church back in Jerusalem, that's not family. Is it? People in Ukraine right now, that's not family. Is it? People in Tanzania or Uganda or Haiti or... That's not... Is that family? We call them brothers and sisters. We eat with them. And we want to make sure everybody eats. This is shocking that these people who mostly didn't want to share the gospel with them are now brothers and sisters. And they're sharing their food in the midst of a famine. Everyone giving as much as they could. So it's not just the, rich, it's not just the patrons. That's the way the system worked. That the, the, the rich people, you know, the Bill Gateses, or the, you know, the wealthier people would be patrons. They'd, they'd help people out who had... No, no, no. Everyone
1: gave whatever they could. Wow.
0: This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So they had trusted relationships with these people who had relationships back there, and they trusted them to send money. You want to send money to Ukraine, we can tell you how to do it in a trustworthy way. It'll get there, or other places that, that uh, need food. And if the economy gets worse and the gas prices get more, we want to be sharing with each other here. We also want to be paying attention to who else there might be. So um, I've read this to you before, but N.T. Wright, in uh, God in the Pandemic, the a book he came out at the beginning of the pandemic, said, when this happened, they didn't say a lot of things they could have said. They didn't say, oh, is this family the end of the world? They didn't say, he, he says, this is the questions they ask. Who's going to be at special risk when this happens? So if the economy tanks in the world or wherever, our question needs to be, who's gonna be at special risk? What can we do to help, and who shall we send? That was their question. It wasn't, how am I going to survive? It was, who's going to be at risk? How can we help? Who can we send? He says, never before in world history had a multicultural group in one city felt under any fraternal obligation, family obligation, to a monocultural group in another city, 300 miles away. That had never happened. This is a breakthrough church. A breakthrough church that flowed out in blessing back to the church where the the gospel started. They broke through those barriers and overflowed in blessing. Now, some people say, you know, why was the church in Jerusalem so poor? must be because they sold their land. If Barnabas hadn't sold his land, he could have been getting interest off of that. He could have been paying for this. It could have been okay. Yeah, that's not what Luke is saying. Luke is saying because the church in Jerusalem set this example, and Barnabas was that part of that, that DNA spread to this church so that the church in Jerusalem had food when they were hungry. Because they spread that kind of sharing DNA. So we talk about here... We're a place where strangers become friends, and friends become family, and family become sent ones. Right? Amen. And that's amazing. And we're sending people back. These guys are sending people back. The one thing I want you to pay attention to is that family can the difficulty with saying that we're a family can be like, well, it doesn't feel like family. I thought family is where you're supposed to be comfortable. That family is people with your DNA, people who look like you, people who, um, you get what I'm saying? Sometimes people say, I don't know if I belong here, because I I don't know if I really belong, I don't know if I'm really family, because there's people who think different than me. Now what you were all hoping when you came to a house of prayer for all nations was to find people from every nation who look different from you, different races, and thought just exactly like you, right? As far as the gospel and Jesus and politics and, uh, you know, what kind of car you should drive and what you should wear to church, you know, how you should keep the kitchen clean, whatever it is. That's what you were really hoping for. You don't have to tell me. So then when they don't, you're like, I don't know. I don't feel very comfortable here. I mean, People are, you know, in the church is the service isn't like, yeah. This is not a place for you to be comfortable. This is family, but that doesn't mean comfortable. Now, there are churches you can go to to be comfortable with people just like you, think like you, and everything else. But I'd encourage you not to. Here's what I see happening. I see the disintegration of the church happening. The disintegration of families. The disintegration of our country and our world. I want you to stay here and be uncomfortable. Because you're not going to find out other things about Jesus unless you hang out with people who are uncomfortable. People who maybe, you know, they they, they give you some, some of that other stuff from some other political view or some other view of this or that. It's gonna make you uncomfortable. Listen, learn. I, you know, I love to be right, I'll be honest. But I'm learning that I can be right or I can learn.
1: If I'm right already, I can't learn anything.
0: I wanna be right already, I mean, honestly but I could be more right if I learn something, maybe. Um, So, appropriate unity, respect, and learning. Galatians 2, 1 to 16. I'm not going to take you there, but look at... (laughs) Luke paints this rosy picture, uh, but look at... uh, Go back and and look at Romans yourself, I mean Galatians, and you'll see that uh, Paul talks about this situation where what happened when they went there and the leaders received them. And uh, in fact, James, Peter, and John, who were known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion is that we keep on helping the poor, which I was always been eager to do. So this, that trip was a good trip. It was successful. They were like, yeah, you guys go for it. Do it. Go for the Gentiles. And uh, we'll keep preaching to the Jews. And by the way, it's okay that every church isn't fully integrated with every people. Okay? There's a reason we have an all-nations family of churches. Because Korean Church works better when they speak Korean, Honestly. But we want to be in relationship with them. And the other churches. So it's okay to be uniquely your thing and reaching. But we also want to be connected as a whole church. Now... He goes on and tells a story about when Peter does come to Antioch, and Peter's fine, he comes to Antioch, he eats with everybody and stuff, and then some, some people from Jerusalem come, and they start not eating with the Gentiles, and Peter's like, well, I, I don't know here. And this definitely appeals to how he always did things, so he's like, I guess I'll just eat in the room with the Jews. And, he, and Barnabas decides, yeah, I guess I, I guess I should do that too. So, Peter, so Paul has to call them out on the carpet and say, you do not get the gospel. We've learned that the gospel is about salvation by faith, not by what you do. And we're one body and you are messing it up, Peter. You don't mess with Paul, of course. He's kind of, you know, but. But the point is they're learning new things. Peter found out he was wrong. Barnabas realized he was wrong. And they reintegrated the church. So, folks, please, whatever you do, let's reintegrate the church. That means get together with those people who are different and make you uncomfortable and you're not sure if you like the same food. Okay? Um, And we need to be connected with people. I can be right or I can learn. (laughs) Um, so, notice the spirit filled relationships. This slide is from when we talked about the church in, in Acts 2 in Jerusalem. I uh, put it back in here because they were, had the foundation. They were true to the word. They were down, founded, grounded on the teaching of the apostles that was appropriately brought by Barnabas and Saul, by the scriptures, of the Old Testament. They were up in worship and prayer to God, they were in, in love to everyone the church in jerusalem to people who were different and they were out in blessing to people who were poor to people who didn't know jesus they were doing all of those directions and it was messy but it was beautiful and it was breakthrough and it was a new kind of church and we're going to see that this church becomes the breakthrough church into the rest of the world but I want us to be that kind of breakthrough church. I want us to be discovering new things. Not just what we've already discovered, but even more. And I want us to be connected with churches that are making new transformational discoveries. And I want us to bless them and encourage them. And learn from them.
1: And stay united with them.
0: So how do we continue to break through to overflow? overflow those dams and those um, barriers? How can the Spirit continue to make us house of prayer for all nations? How can we continue to become an appropriate church for every kind of people? And maybe it doesn't happen in this church. Maybe it's connected with other churches. Maybe there's lots of ways that in this city and in our world, we become that kind of appropriate church. It might take some new things, but appropriate things. To speak to the culture around us now, it might take some new ways of understanding Jesus, of doing church, of relating to people. But well, we want it to be appropriate. We want to hang on to everything that Jesus, be true to the word, true to, true to Jesus, right? But it might take some new discoveries for us. We want to be welcoming And transforming. Notice that these Gentiles, these Greek speakers, were welcomed into the church. They heard their good news. And they were transformed into people who were devoted to the apostles' teaching. People who would give, even to people they'd never met, 15 days travel away. They were transformed into new people as they repented from their sins, believed, and turned to Jesus. When the gospel is shared appropriately, the good news connects and changes people. But we don't want to put up barriers ahead of time. Well, you're not our kind of people, so you can't really come here. I can't really, you know, I, I don't really relate to you. We need to be learning new language. We need to be going and pressing through. So 2022 is a year of God's Overflow. Would you stand with me and pray a minute? And I'm going to ask Pastor Jim and Annette
1: to come on up. Lord, we
0: want to give ourselves to you. We are standing here as family and as your sent ones. We believe that you are sending us and that on the way, even if we're running away, You've got things for us to do. Would you open our eyes to see people that we have not seen? Would you open our eyes to bless people
1: that we don't think of? And would you make us into the kind of church that is
0: a breakthrough, overflow church. Would you help us catch up with your spirit and what you're doing and what you're wanting to do? And I pray that each of us, we don't even know who started this revolution in Antioch. They were just some people from Africa who started sharing with other people. We're kind of like them. So I pray that each one here would know where you have sent them and they would have new eyes. And the rest of us would see in new ways. When we see stuff, we would encourage it and say, yes, praise God. Be filled with joy and teach into it. Encourage one another to be devoted, Lord. I just pray that you would do what you want to do. And we commit ourselves to that. And Lord, there may be here, some here now who, who actually don't feel like they belong. They feel like the church isn't really for them. Because they're something. Or the church is judging them. They feel like the Gentiles did when the church was really just speaking to Jews. If you're here today and that's you, I want you to know the Spirit of God loves you. Jesus loves you. He wants to break through. And we may not have been doing a great job of presenting, Jesus is. But he's amazing. He loves you and he welcomes you. He's going to ask to be welcomed by you. And he'll do the transforming that needs to be done. You don't have to worry about becoming transformed before you meet him. Just fall in love.
1: Jesus, we welcome
0: you. And we welcome you to change our lives, change our eyes, change our hearts, change our financial situation and who we share dinner with, who we give to. Welcome, Jesus. Do your work in us individually and together, and together with all the churches that we're connected with, Jesus. Amen that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life jesus that i would be set free oh jesus i sing for all that you've done Lord, we are so grateful for all that you've done for us. We thank you for bringing us the good news of Jesus in an appropriate way that we could respond to. And Lord, may we respond to it more. May we accept what that is. And now, as we stay in worship, as we go and are sent into our places of ministry and life, would you be with us? Jesus. So, Worship, go, live in the love of the Father, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and in the overflow of Jesus Christ, who died for you. Amen.